Welcome to the program, Virginia. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, taking it to the streets, coming at you live. And uh, we want to say thank you uh, to you all out there who are joining us today. You are listening to The Really Real Deal. And if you're new to the program, I am your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig. And uh, we want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. And uh, hey, we got a couple of hours of a great program. Uh, we have two really, really great guests today. And uh, and hopefully after all the uh, guests are over, uh, we'll entertain some of your phone calls. And uh, we want to say hello. We are we are, we have a lot of folks out on Facebook, uh, literally all over the country. And um, I want to give a special special uh, shout out to anyone uh, viewing us on Facebook who may be out in the uh, Lynchburg, Virginia area, or in the Phoenix, Arizona area. As uh, we are looking to, uh, in the very near future, to be expanding this program to those markets. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Phoenix is what I think the fifth largest, uh, perhaps maybe the fifth largest uh, city, uh, about five million in the metropolitan area out there. And uh, and Lynchburg here in my home state of Virginia, out in the beautiful, beautiful Shenandoah Valley. Uh, we hope to be coming uh, out there uh, soon. But in the meantime, for you who are on Facebook, hey, uh, thank you for being there. And uh, today we have our favorite, every not just my favorite, folks, but I think everyone's favorite economist. I'm so excited. I'm like a kid in a candy store. We have Dr. Walter E. Williams. Uh, he will be joining us at the bottom of our first hour, and then at the top of the next hour, we're going to have uh, Heather McDonald will be back with us again. Uh, she's written another book here. Uh, this Her book this time is The War on Cops, and uh, and Dr. Walter Williams, wow, he's written so many books, I hardly know uh, where to begin uh, with Dr. Williams, and, um, and, and, and this is an encore visit from Dr. Williams as well. We were really, really blessed and privileged to have him as a guest on the program uh, back when I was still relatively uh, new in radio, it, I think I was only in my—I um, I can't remember if I was in my first year or second year, but it's, it's been a while. I think I was in my second year on radio uh, when when we had uh, Dr. Walter Williams, and uh, such a delightful, delightful man. And uh, but anyway, it's um, it is the uh, Easter season. And, uh, and, you know, we, we, we talk about our seven C's of a successful society, uh, the first one being Christian faith. And, uh, and of course, without Christian faith, the other six, uh, they really, uh, they could not exist. And, and if they did exist, they would be in a very, very watered down uh, form without that first, the, the, what I call the big C, okay, uh, Christian faith. Uh, our big brother, uh, Jesus Christ. And, um, and, you know, and that leads you into all those other C's, um, conservative values, uh, constitutional limits, um, choice in all things, capitalistic opportunity, confrontation with evil, okay, uh, a big one, and um, consistency in application of law. And uh, we saw a little bit of consistency in application of law. Just a little bit we saw that uh, uh, someone in the Justice Department grew a set of onions over the weekend and uh, fired uh, McCabe uh, over at the FBI. And uh, that joker should have been fired uh, on day one, January 20th, 
uh, of, of the first day of uh, Trump's uh, presidency, that's really when he should have been fired. But better late than never. And uh, so anyway, folks, we have uh, a great day today. Um, you know, a lot of people celebrate St. Patrick's Day and, uh, you know, luck of the Irish and wearing of green and all that's fine and dandy. But I celebrate St. Patrick's Day because St. Patrick was a, a Christian minister, okay? He was a missionary. He was the bishop and apostle of Ireland. And we celebrate him on March 17th because that's the day that he got his reward and he went on, left the earthly realm and went on to, went on to heaven, March 17th. And there's a lot that's known about him and I you know, and I wish there was more said other than uh, green beer and, and uh, you know, as though he were a leprechaun or something. But um, th- his story is really, really fascinating. OK, this is this is a guy who's from a very, very uh, wealthy family, a Christian family, a Roman family. OK, he was born in Great Brit- Great Britain, probably in Scotland, and he was captured and enslaved when he was 16 years old, okay? Irish marauders, they took him to Ireland. And so for the next six years of his life, uh, he was a captured slave who was forced to work labor, okay? So now one would think that when you escaped, and he did escape six years later, went back to uh, Britain, went back home, was welcomed back home. One would think that the last place on earth one would want to return would be the place of one's torment, okay? But not this great man, okay? And so he wrote in his book, The Confessio, all right, that he had a dream that he should return to Ireland. And that is exactly what he did. He studied, he became ordained as a bishop, arrived back in Ireland in the year of our Lord, 433, began preaching the gospel, converted thousands, built churches all over the country. And after 40 years of living in poverty, teaching, traveling, working tirelessly, he died on March 17th, 461, in Saul, the location of his first church. And so since then, he's known as the patron saint of Ireland. And so something to think about as we uh, wish one another a happy St. Patrick's Day or we, you know, talk about the, the wearing of the green. And, you know, if you want to have a green beer, fine, fine and dandy. But just, <laughs> but just, uh, just remember that this, this, this is a, um, literally a Christian saint, okay? And uh, speaking of Christian saints, uh, I would like to note that on yesterday, I went to the homegoing ceremony of uh, my late great uncle, Vance Lee Gilliam Sr. He was 91 years old, a great man, uh, worked on Capitol Hill up in Washington for 34 years, uh, primarily in Veterans Affairs. He was a a, uh, World War II veteran, and a uh, beautiful, beautiful service uh, that we had. Sent him home in, uh, in, in fitting 
tribute. I was up in Heightsville, Maryland uh, yesterday. And so to family, uh, love and respect to my late great uncle, Vance Gilliam. And with that, folks, we're going to take our first break. And I think what we may do is on the other side of the break, uh, we're going to open the phone lines up a little bit early. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the event that we have coming up about the movie, Paul, the Apostle of Christ. And uh, I'm going to invite you for those of you who have churches who may be having uh, sunrise service on Easter um, we, we, uh, my men's by one of my Bible study groups, my men's Bible study group, we're sponsoring a, uh, sunrise service at Fairmount Christian church, six 30 on Easter morning. And, uh, in, and, but this is out, this is out in Hanover County on Creighton road. So what I would like to do is for folks that, uh, in other locations that are having sunrise service, because not all churches have sunrise service. So we, I invite you to our church, and I would encourage other churches that are having a sunrise service, call the station, let it be known, so that folks would know where they could go in the event that their own personal church is not having a sunrise service, okay? The number here, if you'd like to call, is 804-454-1366, 804 454 Six. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for Virginia. Brother Craig here with a little message about giving out of the abundance that God has blessed you with. If this great nation is going to be saved, then we in the Christian Conservative Constitutional Coalition have to be in the vanguard. There are so many brave and God-fearing groups and individuals engaged in the battle of this rendezvous with destiny. There are social welfare groups like the Salvation Army at SalvationArmyUSA.org. 
Military groups like Special Operations Wounded Warriors at SOWWCharity.com. Christian groups like the Virginia Christian Alliance at VAChristian.org and SaltAndLightCouncil.org. And there's also churches and others, many, many very worthy groups out here doing the Lord's work. So we support not only our own group, the FirstAmendmentInc.com, which keeps us on the air, but the main thing for you, the listener, is to give. Give somewhere, give generously, and give often. And give in the measure that God has given to you. Thank you, Virginia, and God bless you. to the program, Virginia, your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here on Virginia's big dog radio program, The Really Real Deal. And uh, we really should start saying America's <laughs> big dog radio program as uh, as we're seeking to expand the program. And, uh, and you just heard our giving ad, so we really, really, we highly encourage you. You know, folks, freedom really is not free. And, uh, and look, in, in, the, in the Easter season here, uh, we know that our eternal freedom is not free, was not free, because our big brother, uh, the firstborn of many brethren, Jesus Christ, paid the price uh, for us. And so we're thankful and we're grateful for that. And, uh, and so I just want to uh, make sure that we're mindful that we are in the Easter season and uh, we highly encourage you all uh, to, for, for those of you who are churchgoers and, and, and who will be attending Easter Sunday services, again, not all churches have a sunrise service. So uh, if you'd like to attend a sunrise service, okay, feel free to come out to Fairmount Christian Church 630, uh, which is on Creighton Road right at 295, you would take uh, on 295 in Creighton, you would take the east exit. And within uh, less than a quarter of a mile, uh, Fairmount Christian Church is right there on the right-hand side. That's 630 uh, Easter Sunday morning. Now, the number here, we have a a few minutes before our fantastic guest, uh, Dr. Walter Williams, will be calling in on the the other side of the break. Uh, We... We uh, would like you to call in if you'd like, 804-454-1366, 804-454-1366. And if there are other churches, uh, if anyone out there listening, if your church is uh, having a sunrise service and you'd like to let that be known so that uh, other people in 
different parts of our listening area. We have a very, very huge listening area. So uh, I know not everyone that uh, desires to do so, uh, if they wanted to find a sunrise service, uh, it might be a little inconvenient to come all the way to Fairmount. Uh, so if there are churches in other parts um, of the community other than, you know, out in Hanover County, uh, feel free to call in and let people know. And also, the um, the Ruth's Chris uh, Steakhouse giveaway uh, was a success, and uh, several of our own very own listeners uh, won. Uh, five five people won overall the uh, $100 gift certificates to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And uh, so we encourage you, uh, n- another reason to call in, <laughs> your name goes into my cowboy hat, and at the end of the month there will be another drawing and five more $100 gift certificates will be given out uh, to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And uh, and you can not only call here, but, you know, we have lots of other programs. Monday through Fridays, uh, we have quite a few programs in the mornings uh, on uh, everything from finance to uh, conservative Christian values of programs that are very similar to my own here. That uh, and so, and if you enjoy this, uh, I think you probably would enjoy their programs also. So I highly encourage you to do so. And uh, also, we have uh, coming up Sunday. All right, we still have some seats available uh, over at the Virginia Christian Alliance. Uh, now, my organization, the First Amendment Inc., uh, we are partnering with the Virginia Christian Alliance. Uh, that's my good friend Don Blake uh, over there. He's the chairman and president, and uh, and I'm actually a member of their advisory board, and I am the school choice advocate over at the Virginia Christian Alliance. So we work together on lots of projects, uh, Don and I. As a matter of fact, when we had our protest out at the, uh, the uh, playhouse that was putting a play on, uh, showing Jesus and the apostles to be homosexual men uh, when I called for a protest group to quietly protest across the street. The first person to say yes was was my good friend Don Blake, the Virginia Christian Alliance. And so we did have Hatchet Nation uh, to show up. And so um, I'm very grateful for that. But now I would love Hatchet Nation to show up Sunday. All right, and this is from 4.30 to 6, and our offices are on Staples Mill Road right at Parham, okay? 8659 Staples Mill Road, and that is this Sunday. And what we're doing, you know the uh, movie Paul, Apostle of Christ. We interviewed the filmmaker. Uh, I think we we actually played it last week. I actually did the interview uh, probably a month ago, okay, but we were saving it to coincide with the release of the film. And so, and this is going to be a great, great uh, movie, folks. And uh, you can go to our website at thereallyrealdeal.com, thereallyrealdeal.com, and you can see a trailer of the movie, and you can learn more about this event where we're going to have uh, basically a theological discussion uh, featuring uh, Jim Caviezel, one of the actors in the movie, and the Bible scholars who helped put the movie together to make sure, to make absolutely sure that the depiction in the movie is biblically accurate, 
Okay, and so if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, we would love to have you uh, come out. Uh, Mrs. Hatchett and I and uh, Don Blake and the Virginia Christian Alliance, uh, uh, our team at the First Amendment, Inc., we would just love to have you uh, come out, enjoy our hospitality, enjoy this program that was put on at Liberty University, but we will be receiving it uh, via simulcast, so we're going to uh, project it on a, on a big screen. And so it's a, it's a good time that, that we'll have there. And feel free to go to our website and simply respond by email. Seating is limited, but we do have some seats left, okay? So uh, with that said, um, and again, the number here, 804-454-1366, 804-454-1366. And uh, final thought here before we go into the bottom of the hour news break with, um, well, let me save that final thought for later in the program as we enjoy a little more uh, beautiful, beautiful, reverent uh, music uh, going into the break. And when we come back, we will have Dr. Walter E. Williams. Welcome back to the program, Virginia. Your friendly, friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here on America's Big Dog Radio Program, The Really Real Deal. And as I like to say, folks, this is Man's World Radio, and our guest, as promised, uh, (laughs) I'm so excited. We have Dr. Walter E. Williams. Talk about a big dog and talk about Man's World Radio. Uh, This gentleman, folks, uh, for those of you who like the way the hatchet man brings it and slings it. I've been saying for many, many years that all I'm doing and what I do is very, very easy. I am standing 
literally on the shoulders of giants. And one of those giant shoulders upon whom I stand is our guest today, Dr. Walter E. Williams, who was recently given the Brantley Foundation Award and uh, for a lifetime of work, uh, numerous, numerous. And you guys, you hear me talk about Dr. Walter Williams all the time. And uh, Dr. Williams, thank you so much, sir, for joining us again. It's really, and it's my fault, it's really been too long. It's been about seven years since our last interview. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you, sir. And thank you for all that you have done. Uh, you're such an inspiration uh, to people like myself. Um, you know, when and when I say standing on the shoulders of giants, I mean, people like yourself, your friend and colleague, Dr. Thomas Sowell, uh, uh, Ward Connerly, uh, out in California, the great things he's been doing, and the, the vitriol that you men have to, you know, you know, Clarence Thomas, I mean, can imagine we have a museum to black American history and the lone black man who's on the Supreme Court, one of the longest serving Supreme Court justices, I mean, a really brilliant man. He's not included, nor are you or Dr. Thomas Sowell or I mean, it's, I find it outrageous, but what I'd like you to do is just share how have you all done this? You know, you, you, you started out in the 60s as a, as a radical, and you have evolved where the modern uh, black leadership class, whom I call poverty pimps, they have not evolved. How, how have you done it, sir? Well, uh, well. First of all, uh, I, uh, Thomas Sowell and I, uh, we we live with all the griefs, and we don't mind uh, uh, calling shots as we see them, mm-hmm. and because uh, because we just don't have to. Uh, we're happy with our wives and family. We don't have to go to cocktail party and be invited <laughs> to cocktail parties. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, so you know, the, so you have many degrees of freedom. But but I, in terms of my own life, I, I've been a radical. And I, when I say a radical, uh, I'm still a radical today because uh, anybody who believes in personal liberty or believes in the United States Constitution and the principles that underlie it is a radical in America today mm-hmm. because most Americans, whether they realize or not, and it's a tragic thing to say about my fellow Americans, but most Americans have utter contempt for the principles of personal liberty and uh, and its main ingredient to uh, limited limited government mm-hmm. that is and you know you know most Americans believe that it is acceptable and is moral for the United States Congress to forcibly use one American to serve the purposes of another American yes. that is to take the earnings of one American and give it to another American, whether it be the farm programs, business bailouts, foreign aid, uh, mm-hmm. uh, welfare, food stamps. As a matter of fact, the, the, you, you know, Congress taking the earnings from one American and giving to another accounts for roughly three-quarters of the federal budget. Mm-hmm. In Virginia, we have an, a perfect example here lately 
with uh, Medicaid expansion. And uh, and we have, I, I think, 11 Republicans, okay, uh, have went weak and wobbly, and they're trying to make a, a moral argument, they think, okay? They're saying that they've made the economic argument for years and that there's a fallacy there. But, you know, I disagree with them. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I think that from a politician's point of view, see, I, I don't fault politicians that much. And the reason why is that I think that any politician who would listen to me or any politician that would strictly uphold his oath of office to uphold and defend the United States Constitution, that politician would be run out of town hmm. by his constituents. Yeah. That is... Oh, the swamp. Imagine for a moment that, that I'm running for the United States Senate from Virginia. Yes. And I go back and forth across state, and I tell my fellow Virginians, look, I've read the United States Constitution. I know what Congress is authorized to do. So if you elect me to the United States Senate, do not expect from me to bring back aid to higher education, highway construction funds, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Medicaid up, upgrades and stuff like that, because it's not in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Do you think I would get elected to the Senate from Virginia? Not today you wouldn't. No, Not, but now our founders, however, okay, having um, come from uh, tyranny under the boot of Britain and yeah. having studied uh, democracies that uh, destroyed themselves, yeah. uh, our founders had a different idea. That, oh, you're, that, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Now, so here's the question that I would put to you and anybody else. Is it reasonable for us to expect a politician to commit what he considers to be political suicide. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, tough. I, now, I, I actually, I'm dumb enough to actually expect them to do that. Okay, but to do it in an intelligent, to do it in an intelligent way to articulate and to be to be a warrior. I mean, because look at what you and I have done. I mean, I. You know, maybe I shouldn't put myself on your. You've done this for so many years, sir. And uh, but people like us. Look at what we do. Look at the hell we get, and then we get yeah. called everything except you know a child of God. And now it, now it doesn't bother me because uh, unless you call me late for dinner, then I might get upset. <laughs> but shouldn't. Um, and a matter of fact, here we are, we're in the Easter season, okay? And you look at what Christians go through and have always gone through. The first century Christians were killed. I mean, even today, Christians are being killed. Doesn't it go with the territory that if you are going to stand for something, that you will be opposed? Oh, well, yeah, if you stand for, you know, see, I think one of the points that I frequently make is that personal liberty, individual liberty, as the framers envisioned, they, they weren't perfect, but they made individual liberty a big thing. Mm-hmm. That is something that's rare in human history. You know, yes. most of human history is mankind has been subject to arbitrary abuse and control by others. Mm-hmm. And the, so the rare state of affairs in human history is where people are free. But, but you know, but go, just going, let me finish up with my okay. running for the United States Senate example again. Mm-hmm. And that is, for example, see, the people of Virginia would be absolutely right be pursuing their own interests if they did not elect anybody like me to the United States Senate. The reason why is that if I don't bring back 
uh, loads and loads of, of government programs to the citizens of Virginia, it doesn't mean that they're going to pay a lower federal income tax. All that it means is that Maryland will get it instead. That is, once legalized theft begins, it pays for everybody to participate in it. And yes. if you don't participate in it, you're going to wind up holding the brown end of the stick. Right. And if you have a rural background, you know what that is. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, now but every, every four generations, there is a pruning that occurs. Because you are absolutely right, sir. Of our own volition, we will not do these things. Of our own volition, we're going to get our spoon and we're going to scoop. Okay? We're going to get while the getting's good. But every four generations, uh, you look at the uh, Revolutionary War, four generations later, the Civil War. Four generations later, World War II. And they're all accompanied by economic downturns, moral crises, followed by revival. And we are now four generations after World War II. So if we don't willingly do what you say people, reasonable people won't do, isn't there going to be a natural pruning and it's going to happen anyway? Well, I think we're headed for a collapse of the economy. That is, right, right now, the unfunded liability of the federal government is, depending on whose figures you're looking at, it's anywhere between 200 and $250 trillion. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is all the promises that the federal government have made today. And, that, and there's no reserve against these unfunded liabilities. You know, like a, if, if, an, if a life insurance company is going to uh, obey the law, they have to have a reserve against their liabilities that, yes. you know, pay out, uh, pay out the insurance benefits and things like this. But the United States Congress does not. Mm -hmm. and, and the major fall is going, to be, is going to be in Social Security. That is, the Social Security system cannot possibly exist between tw uh, after 2040. Mm -hmm. That is, according to conservative estimates, the Social Security tax alone would have to be 34% yeah. to uh, maintain today's level of, uh, of benefits. And I don't think that people in 2040 are going to be willing to tax themselves uh, 34%. Now, so, they, so, so, so this system must collapse. Now, here's the big problem, mm -hmm. is that any politician doing things today to prevent that collapse 20 years from now, he's going to be run out of office by his constituents, particularly the older people and the, who are getting Social Security. Mm -hmm. Because why should, they, why should they worry about what's going to be going on in 2040? Because they'll be dead, mm -hmm. and the politicians will be dead. And so why should he sacrifice his career caring about 2040, the, the country in 2040? It's very little reason for him to do that. Uh, He'll be uh, run out of office. Right, unless he's um, a statesman who's, uh, who's, who's wise and he's looking out for the interests of the nation. What I talk about all the time is, uh, you know, the children and the great-grandchildren. Yeah. Could and, you give me an example of a politician that, that doing, that doing what you say? Well, in my lifetime, the only one that uh, in Congress controls the budget, not the president, uh, the, in my lifetime, the only time I've seen it even attempted was when Newt Gingrich and the boys took over Congress back in... Uh, 1990, uh, 1992 or something. Yeah, 94, I think. That, and, yeah. and, and look, and it was for a hot minute. If you look at a graph, the, the slide 
took a little hiccup, and then within a few years, it took off again. And so, yeah, right. yeah, you know, I, I don't know if someone brought Newt into a room and made him get his mind right. <laughs> but, well, well, you know, Governor Wallace kind of put it right. He said it's, it's not a dime's worth difference between the Republicans and Democrats. And see, the liberal Democrats, they believe in taking your money and my money mm-hmm. and giving it to poor people and cities. Mm-hmm. Republicans believe in taking your money and my money and giving it to farmers and banks. That is, they mm-hmm. both agree on taking our money. They right. just disagree on what to use it for. Right, right, right. And, you know, these these labels, uh, well, before I go to those, uh, those labels, Cloward Pivot, okay, what you're describing yeah. about the the coming crash, this has been predicted and written about and I mean, these neoliberals, they're, they're not liberal. They don't believe in liberty. They claim to be liberals, but I call them neoliberals. These, these people, you know, Frances Fox Piven and her late husband, Richard Cloward, they wrote this in 1966 and taught it for years at Columbia mm-hmm. University, and that their plan was to overload the government with more financial obligations than could possibly be met and that the result would be an inevitable collapse upon which the government would rush in and the people would cry out and the people would give their freedom over to the government. The, yeah, they I mean, cry out for a savior, and that's, that, that's, that's what the Germans did during the 1920s. Yeah. I mean, but people write this and they say, so they're not, this is not in secret. This is an open. So why is it, sir, that there's so few of us saying this? Well, I I don't know. I don't. I wish I knew. I, I wish I knew the answer to that. But and maybe there'd be some kind of cure. But but I think that I think that the lesson for for the Christians among us is that when when uh, it, when God gave uh, Moses the eighth commandment, "Thou shalt not steal," <laughs> he did not mean "Thou shalt not steal" unless you got a majority vote in the United States Congress. Mm-hmm. But. But see, the the problem is, is that somehow we have to sell our fellow, <clears throat> our fellow American on the moral superiority of personal liberty and its main ingredient, limited government. Right. That is, they, see, see, here's where I think, <clears throat> way, way, way I look at it, is that I own Walter Williams. I am my property. I belong to me, and you belong to you. Now. Once you accept the idea of self-ownership, then certain things are wrong and immoral, and certain things are moral. The reason why murder is immoral is it violates private property. Theft is immoral because it violates private property. And so, and many other things that that people do that violate private property, they're immoral because they because just they they violate the rights, the you know my ownership rights and your ownership rights. Mm-hmm. And so, and I believe that the the, uh, the the founders of our nation got this idea. It's not my idea. It mm-hmm. comes from John Locke, mm-hmm. the, his, his his second treatise on government, mm-hmm. where he talked about about people owning themselves. And, the, and if you look at our constitution, the essence of it is self ownership. But the, the founders of our nation they had to accept the idea of slavery initially. Which is which was a, a gross violation of uh, of human property right, you know, property mm-hmm. rights in a person. 
but but they laid the foundation for its eventual uh, uh, abolition. And that's a point that the American founders are never, ever uh, given credit for. Uh, you know, primarily Democrats run around and uh, get black folks foaming at the mouth angry as though slavery was an American invention rather than the status quo of the entire world. And, you know, you had black-on-black slavery, black-on-white slavery. Uh, and I think you it was either you or your, your colleague, Dr. Soule, who wrote that blacks enslaved more whites, that the word slave comes from the Slavic people. Yeah, and, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, the Slavs were, were slaves of white people for a long time ago. And matter of fact, blacks were the last people to be enslaved. Yeah, yeah. The last major group. And matter of fact, today in places like Mauritania and Chad, slavery continues. Oh, I have a friend who's now running for the presidency of uh, South Sudan who was a child slave. Uh, the, 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 uh, the southern part of Sudan is Christian, uh, which, and they prefer to be called Kush. And the Muslims yeah. in the north took him when he was seven years old. Him and his brother killed his parents. They killed all the adults, even down to teenagers, uh, and they only took those young enough not to fight back. And That's he, right. he escaped. He came here to uh, Virginia, and uh, he's gotten himself a couple of uh, college degrees, and now he wants to come back, and he's actually running for the presidency of South Sudan. But we have these modern poverty pimp Negro politicians that will not allow the people under their charge, whether it's in the church or in academia, and I know you've spoken on this for many, many years, um, they, they, they will not allow these people to be self-thinkers or encourage self-thinking, but they, 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 use, they use anger and emotion to cloud their ability to think. And one of That's those right. things is this phony uh, racism. That is absolutely right. And you're, and you're right about and the Muslims have had a long history of selling blacks uh, into slavery, mm-hmm. and and one of the one of the really tragedies uh, was with a, a wonderful boxer Muhammad Ali. Yeah, and his name his 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 birth name was Cassius Clay. He was mm-hmm. named after an abolitionist. Yeah, Cassius Clay was an abolitionist, and he renamed himself <laughs> in, uh, to to Muslims who who, who <laughs> yeah, I mean, slavery. it's just it's it's and crazy. You have, all these, you have all these black people giving their kids Muslim names. Yeah. And and, uh, and 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 Muslims were the main was one of the major architects of slavery. Yeah, black yeah. slavery. Yeah, and I preach against that so hard because as a 19 year old, I got involved in one of those groups, and I gave those I I named my daughter Fatima and my son Khalid, mm-hmm. and you know not you know not knowing, okay, and yeah. um, but um, and and, and uh, it's it's just. Um, it's just fascinating that this is such known knowledge today, but you have a group of people that they will never listen to you and I or people like us on our side of uh, this divide. And I divide this into who is the author of your rights. If, if God is the author of your rights, then you would be a, a libertarian, a conservative, a Christian. Uh, you would be in what I call the Christian conservative constitutional capitalistic coalition. You would believe in these things that relate to the freedom that God gave you. But and, and, if, you'd, and you'd recognize that it's Congress's job 
to protect, not to give you those liberties, exactly, but to protect them. And and if you look at the, if you look at the uh, at the at the Bill of Rights, the framers of our country were deeply suspicious of Congress. That is, look at the language in the Bill of Rights. Uh, Congress shall not infringe. Congress shall not disparage. Congress shall not abolish, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. If the framers didn't think Congress would do all these things, why did they write them down? Mm-hmm. And so, as a matter of fact, I suggest to people that when we die and at our next destination, if we see anything like a Bill of Rights, we know that we're in hell. Because <laughs> a, a, a Bill of Rights in heaven would be an affront to God. Yeah. You wouldn't need it. It would be saying, we can't trust God. Right, right. That's a brilliant observation. And uh, look, if you all are just joining us, we have Dr. Walter E. Williams, folks. This this gentleman, he's not only brilliant, but he's so eloquent and, and funny. Okay, and uh, I tell you, I miss the years. I can't count the number of years I heard you be uh, the number one stand-in on the Rush Limbaugh uh, oh, yeah, I did that for 22 years. Wow, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I enjoyed every one of them, I'm telling you. But uh, now, as our, as our time winds down, I, I'd love to talk about um, the, this, the, the fact that uh, I have in my hand a baton, okay? And it's not of my creation. Just like you give uh, credit to the men who came before you, you wrote a beautiful um, article. Um, I think yesterday was the birth of uh, Madison, and two years ago you wrote an article uh, lauding uh, Madison's. Um, as a matter of fact, I reposted it on my Facebook account. Yeah, we ought to celebrate his birthday. Yes, yes, yes. And I originally posted it two years ago, and it popped up again. I reposted it. And and so you you have always given credit to the men from whom you learned, and I try to do that. Uh as well, and we seem to be, we're living in an age of ekpyrosis, the end of one era and the beginning of another. And there's so many uh, men of your generation, uh, and you guys have been out here putting the baton in our hand, and now I'm, I'm trying to run my leg of the race as a member of the Generation X uh, generation. I'm two generations behind you, and I'm trying to snatch it from the baby boomers. And Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you, you chuckling. That, yeah. yeah, we and we literally we have to take it from them. Then no one's going to give it to us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for for right. men of my generation who uh, you know, and you've done so much not only for the baby boom generation but for my generation. How do you advise us going forward? Uh, to be able to hand this thing off to the millennials in the next generation because it seems the baby boom generation, and this is not a blanket statement, there's some great baby boomers out there, uh, but as a generation, they, they're they driving this nation into the ground. Yeah, I, I think one of, one of the things that we need to do is to somehow let people know that what we observe today has not always been. That is, we were a far more moral nation in the past. That is, you know, I'll be 82 on my next birthday, and I was in school. I was in school between 1942 and 1954. And I never saw a policeman in school except during an assembly where we had to sit there and listen to boring, officer-friendly talk about safety. (laughs) Today, in Philadelphia, where the square I grew up, there are 400 school policemen. 
in school, and or or just this this whole issue about about guns. They say, well, well, we got to somehow reduce the availability of guns, and that's the problem. You know, longer waiting periods, uh, you know, change, uh, uh, increase in age which you can buy guns. And these people, say, you know, a gun availability is their problem in their brain. But it turns out that it, in the Sears and Roebuck catalog of 1902, there are 35 pages of guns. Just send your money and get your gun. Mm-hmm. You can walk into a hardware store. So the problem that we have with guns is not guns. It's, it's, it's with people. That is what we have to recognize is that in order to have a civilized society, we cannot depend solely on the law. Mm-hmm. We have to depend on morality because morality is society's first level of defense. It's, it's just, that is getting people to act right. And then what we've done, we, and, and religion for a long time has been a reinforcement to uh, morality and the kind, you know, Emily Post rules etiquette, being courteous, not stealing, and all this kind of stuff. Religion used to reinforce that lesson, but we've kicked religion out of schools. Mm-hmm. We kick religion, we, we, you know, we, we kick religion out of most of our lives. And the people who are religious today, many ministers, uh, they should not be ministers. Reverend Chickenfoot. They're, they're, they're teaching their congregation mm-hmm. immoral acts. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 horrible. It's horrible. But uh, I wish we had another half hour with you, sir. <laughs> well, we can do it again someday. Uh, and look, I'm going to hold you to that. And uh, I just I greatly appreciate you taking time to share with us today. And uh, and folks, you guys have to go to my website and buy some of these great books, American Contempt for Liberty. Up from the projects, race and economics, uh, liberty versus the tyranny of socialism, and the list goes on and on and on. And then, then on my on my website, WalterEWilliams.com, there's many, many publications and, okay. and videos and uh, Great. YouTube stuff. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, sir. Okay. God bless you. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye now. Well, all right, folks. Uh, that's it for this uh, first hour. We will be right back. Welcome back to the program, Virginia. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here. And it is the really real deal, folks. And we have a really real deal guest with us. Joining us is none other than Heather McDonald. And uh, I shared with you a little bit about her earlier. Uh, Heather is a Thomas Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. She's a contributing editor of City Journal. She reports on crime, culture, race, education. Uh, in other words, she's a member of Hatchet Nation. <laughs> okay. And uh, <laughs> welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Brother Craig. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you not only joining us, but I appreciate all that you do in your, your book here, The War on Cops. I mean, this is uh, something that I've been talking about for quite some time, and uh, it's almost like we have a Vulcan mind meld here. <laughs> yeah. You know, the um, this, this whole issue of uh, race, it seems race just permeates everything, you know, and it's... And it's strange, here we are, we're in the Easter season, 
and one of the most prominent um, ideas uh, from the Bible uh, is that there is no black, no white, no male, no female, no Jew, no Gentile, but all are all are one. And we live in a society where all they do is rub raw the pressure points of life. And I say this is not uh, a mistake, that, but this is purposeful. And so well, what, does, what does your research reveal about this? Well, you're absolutely right that in, from one perspective, race permeates everything— that is because of one segment of society that, as you say, is purposely trying to uh, keep people divided. My impression of America is that if the academic left would just shut up and stop rubbing people's noses in a specious racial identity, we really are ready to be post-racial. You know, I see these students, they come into elementary schools into high schools they don't give a damn about race they just want to have fr- be, make friends yes. do as little studying as possible and graduate with a degree and that's true of workplaces as well i've mm-hmm. seen whether it's police departments or hospitals people just want to get along and despite this country's just abominable and shameful history of real racial violence and oppression. The fact of the matter is, is that most whites at this point really don't care about those previous divisions. And, and again, and most blacks don't much, either, you they know, don't either. every, every day, ordinary blacks. But I mean, now when, when you say that the, the country's history of despicable racism, wasn't that really the world's despicable history of racism? Because in in Africa, uh, long, long after America had opened up, in Africa, you would have the Tutsis and the Hutus going after each other with machetes. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, So it's not a white thing. It's not an American thing. It's a human thing. It's tribalism, and we are playing with fire in thinking that we can whip people up here into the type of tribal hatreds that we're doing and not think there's going to be consequences. You know, you have every college in the country drumming into people's heads this idea that to be white is to be the oppressor. You Mm -hmm. have courses in toxic masculinity, toxic white masculinity. Uh, And I think we are teaching black students who would otherwise, I think, again, just want to get along to hate whites. And, um, you know, again, it's ugly. This is, this is, it's going to get ugly. Yeah, yeah. You, I think you're right. It's going to get uglier. Now, I'm predicting a really, really, and I don't say this with any glee, but I'm predicting that this summer blood will flow because there's an important election coming up in November and here in Virginia, there was this thing out in Charlottesville prior to the last election, which mm-hmm. I think was engineered. And the uh, there were more police officers there than there were protesters. And the police were purposely held back by the, uh, the government forces. And mm-hmm. a woman unfortunately died. And, of course, they were able to use that death to paint 
uh, and this is a, a, a Democrat-Republican issue. The Democrats were able to paint Republicans as being uh, racist and actually wanting uh, to, to, to kill an innocent person. And the net result was, you know, Republicans didn't know how to articulate a proper response, and it was a blowout in the Virginia election. So uh, until we learn how to articulate the truth and, and get a proper response, what reason do Democrats have to stop this war on cops and this war on white people and this war on capitalism? Well, that's absolutely right. What we're seeing across the board now is cops are terrified to exercise their lawful authority to try and preserve civil order and peace because they're so worried that if they encounter resistance and they are forced to use force themselves to get uh, compliance, and that's caught on video, mm -hmm. that their career is in jeopardy. They're putting their department's reputation in jeopardy. And so you do or have... their lives in jeopardy. That's right. Yeah. You have, you have uh, this year, I mean, gun murders of officers are up nearly 200%. Yeah. Uh, and I think your prediction, Brother Craig, is uh, a very savvy and astute one. I, you know, obviously, causing the death of somebody is a game changer that we saw in Charlottesville. That, mm -hmm. that takes these clashes into a whole new realm. That having been said, and, and I think that the people that are down there chotting Nazi slogans, that they're, they are despicable. That having been said, if you look at the sheer number of uses of violence, the left-wing so-called Antifa, which is the most ironic title ever, because these are the fascists. They are the fascists, yeah. They have been far more engaged in violence, you know, beating people up, torching businesses, destroying mm -hmm. property, than the far right ever has. Now, mm -hmm. as I say, the fact that a, a, a girl's life was taken is is completely puts us in a different category. But yes, but nevertheless, but wasn't that wasn't that um, avoidable though? I mean, they they forced they uh, number one this uh, the guy that called this meeting was a former organizer for George Soros at the uh, World Economic Forum. So he's and he voted for Obama twice. So he was no right-wing Republican or Nazi or anything like that. He's an opportunist who's being paid to organize and and you know a community organizer as I've said for years is a communist. And th uh, this is a very very old playbook. You know, cre create a situation where there's going to be violence and blame it on the opposition. And yeah. I mean, having a lot of cops been assassinated because when Barack Obama was president, he constantly and consistently depreciated the value of police officers. Brother Craig, you're absolutely right. I mean, this was the constant message from the White House, from President Obama, from his attorney generals that that we were living through an epidemic of racially biased police shootings of black men. Now, that is simply false. Uh, you know, yes, we can go through the data, mm -hmm. but, you know, from now, your audience will have to take my word on, on, on <laughs> well, faith. But, but give, them, I've got, give, the them this one, the give them this one statistic, though. Who's more likely to shoot a, a black man, a black cop or a white cop? <laughs> 
Well, uh, actually, yeah, black cops are. And as far as cop killings, uh, for the last 10 years, black males have made up 42% of all cop killers, even though they're 6% of the population. And a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed himself by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. And a, a larger number of white and Hispanic homicide victims are killed by cops than black homicide victims. This is sort of hard to, let me slow down here a little bit, but if you look at all white and Hispanic homicide victims, 12% of those white and Hispanic homicide victims have been killed by a police officer. If you look at black homicide victims, only 4% of black homicide victims have been killed by a police officer. So yeah. the rate at which whites and Hispanics are dying by cop is three times greater than blacks, and yet and they're nobody not protesting. talks about white and, right, white and Hispanic lives matter. Yeah, yeah. Out in, um, out in Utah, there was a, a 20-year-old white male. He had uh, earplugs in his ear. He did something suspicious. A black police officer gave him a lawful order, but because he had this music in his ear, they, he couldn't hear. And he did something. I mean, I don't think that the, the cop intended to kill him, but what happened because of the lack of communication, the kid ended up dead. But no one, no white person protested and said, oh, you just did this because he's white. It was just it was seen as something that was very unfortunate and people sought to, you know, try to make sure that it didn't happen again. No one tried to use it for their personal political gain. Well, that is one very important asymmetry to notice, Brother Craig. The one that I find the most outrageous is the fact that the no the Black Lives Matter activists are nowhere to be found when black children are killed in drive-by shootings in the inner city. Yes. In 2016, uh, there were 4,300 people shot in Chicago. That's one person every two hours. The vast majority of those 4,300 victims of shootings were black. There were 24 black children under the age of 12 in Chicago who were shot in a drive-by shooting, not one of those cases got any protest mm -hmm. from Jamal Green and the other activists there. Now, if you believe Black Lives Matter, you'd think, boy, those Chicago cops were really busy shooting all those black people mm -hmm. uh, because that's the impression you get, is that that is the threat to black people today, is cops. Well, 4,300 people shot in Chicago the number of people shot by the cops that year was 25. That's 0.05% of wow. all shooting victims. And those 25 were virtually all armed or dangerous. Yeah, and that's one half of 1% folks out there if you're trying to do the math in your head real quick. Did I get that right, Heather? You got it right. <laughs> quick, quick math, faster than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now, other than, you know... You and I and folks like us spreading the word, what's what's the solution? Because I don't, you know, for years I've been trying to tell people that the folks that drive this, 
they're not making a mistake. This is what they want to happen. They they're merely using these unfortunate people as pawns in their game of uh, attempting to increase their power over the electorate. So rather than us uh, complaining about them and thinking that they're going to start doing something differently, what can we do? Well, you know, that's that's a tough thing. The, what I can do is, and you and anybody that has any kind of platform uh, can just try to testify to, against this idea of ubiquitous racism and notice, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Harlem and, and central Brooklyn talking to the good people there, the, the thousands, hundreds of thousands of good people there who want police protection, who fervently support the police, who believe in law and order, who want the same freedom to be able to walk on their streets with their children as people in more affluent neighborhoods take for granted. Mm -hmm. So I know those people, but I'll tell you what I have also encountered there is very overt anti-white racism. You know, it is, it is acceptable in many areas of, of black culture to be pretty anti-white. You know, I've been warned in one... Even preachers houses. do it. Right. Yeah, in, in, it's, it's ugly. Taft houses in East Harlem, the public housing, they say, well, don't go to the Johnson houses right next door because they really hate whites there. Um, so this idea that the predominant source of racial animosity today is whites, I think is just completely ridiculous. But that's certainly what is being emphasized again and again and again in these university settings of white privilege, white privilege, white privilege, and white animosity. It's just, it's not the case. So, you know, obviously, Trump is a very flawed figure. I am, I am extremely upset by his uh, egotism and narcissism, but I, I do think that one part of the vote for him was not just a desire to have the immigration rule of law in this country, but the fact that he was seemingly willing to go up against the typical political correct mau-mauing. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was a great moment in that first debate when he was trying to be accused by Megyn Kelly of being a sexist, which is a ridiculous idea. Mm -hmm. And he said, I have no time to be politically correct. Mm -hmm. that, was a, that was a triumphant moment. Yes. And one hopes that more people will just be undeterred by being called a racist and just say, no, the, the problem in this country today is not racism, it's behavior, it's personal yes. responsibility. That is what's driving our socioeconomic disparities, are people that are not making optimal decisions for themselves and their children. And until we recognize that, you're not going to close income gaps and you're not going to close any the racial disparities that we have because you have massive out-of-wedlock child-rearing yes. going up across the country, but it's 71% now in, among blacks, and that's a real problem. Yeah, yeah, and the drivers of culture are, are really, uh, I think that this is what their desire is 
so that there can be a collapse. And, of course, they get to come with a solution, which means they're in charge of more of our lives. And so this is uh, and so to me, it's just it's it's a plan. And uh, but with folks like you out here writing books like this and again, folks, the book is The War on Cops. The author is Heather McDonald. And uh, we're going to have this uh, episode up on our website, and you'll be able to just click the picture of the book and get it through Amazon. So um, what now what's uh, next for you uh, after this book? Well, I've got another book coming out in September that should be uh, just as controversial as The War on Cops was called The Diversity Delusion. Oh, I can't wait. We have to have you back. <laughs> That's uh, one of my pet peeves there. Uh, look, I was, I, was, I was just at a, a – well, you got me boiling now. I was just at a, a uh, mentoring event. Uh, we uh, have what they call the 100-man challenge that I participate in. And we go out to – uh, a school where the uh, the kids there they're taught trades, but a lot of them oh, are they they get put out of the schools that they they start out at for disciplinary problems. So we go there right. to try to help out. And there's a university president uh, there, and I was off. You know, I give speeches all over the place, so I was offering to come to his university, which is a predominantly and historically black university. That doesn't matter to me, okay, because I'm, I'm deeper than one-sixteenth of an inch. <laughs> but the, the guy, he's, he's I, I was, you know, and I'm founder and president of the First Amendment now. The guy says he's worried about what I would say. No way. <laughs> I mean, this is the president of a university. <laughs> and that you would talk about personal responsibility or people taking oh. control of their lives or what? Just incredible. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, can't I can't wait for, yeah, I can't wait it, for your next book. Well, you're absolutely right. This, it's about the universities, and it's about the betrayal of the extraordinary legacy of the humanities by this political correctness, and it's, it's happening now yes. in the science fields where, you're getting massive gender quotas being put on science labs. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the national government is forcing academic science to take into account gender and race instead of scientific merit, and we're putting wow. our competitive edge at risk. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's not just that university. My own alma mater is not a, a black university, and I can't get, a, get invited to speak there, okay? Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's, and they no longer take uh, SAT scores, okay? Yeah. Now, I had to prove that I could get into the school and, you know, by having sufficient uh, background to, to prove that I could be a success, that's no longer the case. And so well, I have a piece coming out on Monday in The Wall Street Journal about precisely this issue, the, the, the fact that racial preferences do not do their beneficiaries no, they any do not. favors. This yeah. is about the infamous Amy Wax at University of Pennsylvania Law School, who got in trouble over the summer by writing an op-ed in favor of bourgeois culture and personal yeah. responsibility and I love Amy. Marriage. We've had her as a guest before. As a matter of fact, we just had Dr. Walter Williams prior to you and he's been a, a champion on this for, for the last forty years. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that people can do for themselves. There's three things you need to do to stay out of poverty. You graduate from high school, you work full time at any job and you defer child-rearing until you're married. And Amen. the left does not want to talk <laughs> about personal behavior because, as you say, 
uh, that frees people from the control of the state. Amen to that. Thank you so much. And uh, we're going to be looking very much forward to your next book and your next visit here on The Really Real Deal. Thank you so much, Brother Craig. It's been a pleasure talking to you. All right. God bless you. All right. Well, all right, folks, we're going to take a really, really quick break right now, and we will be right back. Republican, grand old Republican, who refuses to fight the Democrats the way they fight us, Governor Goofball. And in this corner, weighing in at a set of Vidalia onions, the teller of truth, the slayer of Democrats. Folks, people want a champion. A man and his microphone. The Really Real Deal with Brother Craig, the Hatchet Man. Saturdays, 10 to noon. Sundays, best of 9 to 11. 8.20 a.m., 97.7 FM. And get the daily newsletter at the website, thereallyrealdeal.com. Welcome back to the program, Virginia. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here for our final 30 minutes of today's program. The number here, if you would like to call in, is 804-454-1366. 804-454-1366. And, uh, and I would like to remind you folks that we are running the uh, contest again for a free $100 Gift certificate to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, that place with the delicious, oh, the smell, the sizzle, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful place out at Belgrade Plantation, a beautiful, beautiful um, location. Uh, you would be really, really blessed by that. Uh, but 
to be eligible to win, and we're going to give away five more. We just gave away five, five $100 gift certificates, okay? All you have to do is call in, uh, give Asher your your name and phone number. Uh, we will throw your name into my big white cowboy hat, and we will pull out five of those, okay? Uh, again, 804 454 one three six six and uh and then there are other programs that um you can call in also you we have uh biz growth radio this is really smart businessman uh that does a program here uh friday mornings nine to ten you could call his program and get your name in uh your name can go in up to three times as a matter of fact uh the good news crew uh matter of fact they were on this morning eight to nine live now the good news crew is going to repeat right after this program but to call in to speak with them, you have to catch them Saturday mornings, 8 to 9. There's Leadership for Your Journey, Monday mornings, 9 to 10. There's Raising the Bar, Great Free Legal Advice, Wednesday mornings, 9 to 10. And The Great People Show, Thursday mornings, 9 to 10. So a plethora of uh, radio programs here in the 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., uh, time slot. So feel free to call in or, hey, call in and speak with your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig. We even invite you folks that are uh, viewing us on Facebook, okay? Uh, we have a lot of Facebook viewers uh, from time to time. We would love to entertain uh, your phone calls as well. 804-454-1366. And I would like to remind you folks that tomorrow uh, we are hosting an event at the Virginia Christian Alliance. And uh, this is a theological discussion of the movie about the life of Paul the Apostle. Okay, and the title of the movie is Paul, Apostle of Christ. And this is 4.30 to 6 p.m. tomorrow, okay? And basically what it is, it's an event that was held at Liberty University in front of 13,000, and it was Jim Caviezel, the actor, with the biblical scholars that ensured the biblical integrity of the making of this movie about the life of Paul. And I interviewed the filmmaker, Andrew Hyatt, right here about a month ago. Now, we played that interview last, uh, I think it was last Saturday we played that interview. It will replay right here tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm on 9 to 11 every Sunday, and we replay the previous week. Or if you uh, don't want to wait until tomorrow morning to, to hear that interview, it is up on our website TheReallyRealDeal.com. That's TheReallyRealDeal.com. And so we appreciate all your listenership, and uh, we're going to welcome Edison to the program. Edison, what's on your mind? Uh, thank you for being that voice, that light, the truth. I don't know who Heather McDonald is, but before this day is over, I thought I'd have her book. No, okay. You, talked, you can I've go right to, to my website and uh, and and just mm-hmm. click on. We've done interviews with Heather before. I can't remember the title of her last book, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, she's great. Let, let me say this, uh, sir. You know, I've, I've talked to you before. My name is Stanley Edison Lever III. Oh, I go okay. By Edison. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I want to tell you, I, I you know, I've, I've commented with you before, and I'm, I'm we, we've uh, discussed God and those kinds of things and spirituality. Mm-hmm. However, I, I think this nation has got a, a really sorry problem with um, black versus white, white versus black. And when I came up, I was uh, I was brought up in a real prejudiced atmosphere. My, my mother, when I was a boy, um, she did not like blacks. My father didn't. I remember once when we was little, uh, we didn't have a wash machine. We went to a laundromat. My mother came out of the laundromat mad, and she said that there's black people in there washing clothes. I can't believe it. Wow. And I said, Lord, have mercy. And then I remember one time when I was But you rejected boy, that, that uh, it sounds yes, like. I rejected it, and, and I was in the theater. She took us to a theater on a Saturday. I'm telling you this because I'm not, I'm, I'm not proud of it. I'm a, I wanted to not be known. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it was she puts in a theater, uh, my sister and I, and then I heard a hollering going out after she put us up in the seat and was walking off. She did it on Saturday sometimes. And she said, get up. And those kids of mine going to sit in the theater with, with, with black people. Yeah, and, uh, and I can imagine I, I that up, wasn't the I word she in, used. I, I, but listen, yeah, I come up, I come up in that, and I'll, I'll tell you something. I, 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 I like many people choose my own way. I, you know, I, it, it conflict with the Bible. The Bible says, "Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the Lord? Has God not taken the foolish things of this world to confound the wise? Man's wisdom, he knew not God. Paul said, "I came not preaching with enticing words of man's wisdom, but save Jesus Christ on the cross." That's not the way Amen. to God or my understanding. I don't know how people can go to church and pray before a holy God, and they come out and say, "Well, I don't like Chuck Connell. I don't like uh, black. I don't." You know, but hey, look, now we have today. Now, but but hold on. Now today, it's it's reverse. Okay, it's it's reversed now because there are there are preachers that will will lambast Trump. I mean, or, or lambast uh, Bush. And uh, I mean, I, I can remember a few years ago, I was the uh, communications director for uh, a lady, a, a black lady, a former Marine. You know, no yes. such thing as an ex-Marine, a former Marine. And I'm a Marine. She, yeah, and she was running against uh as a Republican running against a Democrat. And this man has a mega, he has the largest church in Richmond. I'm not gonna call his name, but the man was so ugly. I mean, he you know, when when we were introduced to the audience, we were introduced as Republicans, and before our rear ends had gotten into the seat, this man went on a five-minute tirade of hatred against George Bush, who was at that time, that's who the president was. Okay. And so, and today, you know, I was just talking to a gentleman um, a couple of days ago who told me that uh, he goes to a biracial church and he just heard the, uh, it's a predominantly black church and and this is a white guy. And he was just telling me how in that the, the, the minister went on an ugly tirade about Trump. Yes, sir. And so now when do when do we say to black leaders, you have to stop? And it sounds like you've said that to whites, and, and whites have man, self— I catch it. I, I caught it. I fought all my life. Let me tell you something, man. I love, I love blues. I love gospel. Uh, it was a gentleman by the name of Clarence Valentine of Silver Stars, the WRVA's first uh, uh, black— uh, Oh, uh, I love listening to them years ago. Yeah. The Silver Stars, weren't they great? <laughs> Mr. Valentine gave me a 1966 Gibson ES-335. I play, I play. I'm a musician, man. I tell you, uh, there was one said of a uh, musician said uh, that, uh, they like men and women. You can't keep musicians apart. You know what I mean? Music right. the bear is down for me, man. It you know, does, it I does. It. I love it. 
I, but I, I appreciate what you do. And but look, thank you so much for being and your, thank your you for calling. But you. listen, don't Good hang, time. don't hang up now. You need to yes, give sir. your name. Uh, and number to Asher, and he's going to enter your name into our contest for the Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And we would love to have you come out tomorrow to our viewing of this theological discussion about yep. the life of Paul the Apostle, okay? I'll be there. All right, okay. Thank you, sir. Thank, Thank you. you again. God bless you, and God bless America. God bless you too, sir. Amen. All right, and we're going to welcome Jewel. Uh, Jewel, what's on your mind today? Good morning. How are you? I am. <laughs> I am wonderful. How are you? <laughs> I am wonderful. Okay. So what's on your mind? I see up on the board you want to talk about Black Lives Matter. Yes, I do. Okay. I'll let you so, go first. So I listened to your caller before, um, was, was she McDonald? Heather McDonald. She was she was my guest, an author. Okay, so I listened to Heather McDonald, and I have to disagree because, of course, as you know, I am union, and we partner with Black Lives Matter, and I have been all over the city of Richmond, especially at the Bell Tower, at the General Assembly, and we have spoken for not just for black lives we speak for all lives okay now i need to you you got that out and that's good but i need to ask a question and this is one of, i'm just going to echo what heather mcdonald said that when all these uh thousands and thousands and literally literally thousands i mean in the eight years that barack obama was president uh something like eight thousand uh, blacks, mostly young black males, not exclusively, but mostly, uh, mm -hmm. were, were killed in his home city, most of them in the congressional district that he's from, okay, which has the highest concentration of murder in the nation. And Black Lives Matter has not said a word, nor have they said a word about the high rate of infanticide, uh, aborticide, that occurs in New York City, a black baby in the womb is more likely to be killed than allowed to be born. Okay? So now where is Black Lives Matter on those two issues? And you can so, take whichever one you want to go first. So as far as young men being killed, I can't speak on Chicago. I can only speak on Richmond, what I do here in Richmond. So I can't tell you what the leaders in Chicago are doing because I don't live there. And well, they're there. doing nothing because what they do is they use these unfortunate incidents as political props. This is what they do. And, and it's, they don't really they say with their lips, we care about blacks. But if you look at the areas that uh, the Democrat Party controls in this nation, these are areas that have the highest concentration of blacks, the highest concentration of poverty, the highest concentrations of crime. And in these areas, Democrats have been in charge for anywhere from 60 to 100 years. I mean, Baltimore has not had a, um, a Republican mayor for 100 years. Okay, Richmond, uh, I think it was 1974, the first year that Richmond had a, uh, a black mayor who was a Democrat, Henry Marsh. And it's gone way, way downhill since then. 
And so if 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 you have cities where the mayor is black and and, and a Democrat, the uh, police chief is a black Democrat, the prosecutor is a black Democrat, the city council is dominated by black Democrats, the school board, the, the school superintendent, all of these people are black Democrats, and there are no white people running anything. There are no Republicans running anything. But you all say racism, namely white-on-black racism, you say that's the problem. I say it's impossible for that to be the problem because white Republicans, they don't run anything in these areas. That's not true. I beg to differ. We're going to have go, to do so quickly. If you go to the General Assembly, you have... Nothing but white Republicans. We went down there this year. <laughs> let, let me speak. We went down there this year to the finance um, department, and we asked that minimum wage be raised. According to the Constitution, and I keep hearing you say the Constitution, according to the Constitution, minimum wage should be $22.80. But this is just simply not true, okay? <laughs> now. All right, hold on. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back at you one more time, then I'm going to give you 36 seconds to sum it up. You're only giving me 36 seconds to speak. Oh. But if you're going to run that a constitution, you're the lawmaker. You know good and well that even a child in high school should not be working for $7.25 in this time. That's barely enough for them to put gas in a vehicle, a second-hand vehicle, to get back and forth to school. That's not teaching them to be responsible to pay their own car insurance. Okay. It's not tough to do that. Now, hold on and let me respond. Several things you've said that are wrong. Number one, the um, House of Delegates is not dominated by, to quote you, nothing but white Republicans. The, there so is a, you've got, the okay, I let you, I let you speak. This is, this is my program, not your program. I let okay. you. I let you speak. Put her on hold, please, um, Asher. Thank you. All right. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna. And I'm gonna bring you back to respond. But there is a very, very slender uh, majority. As a matter of fact, it was. It's so close. It's one vote, and it had to be decided by uh, drawing names out of a hat. Okay. So that's the slender Republican majority. Uh, second point. All of the areas where, again, all these high crime, low achievement, everything from sexually transmitted disease to uh, failure in school uh, to public housing uh, project proliferation, everything, even trash in the street, okay? That would be Norfolk. That would be Richmond. That would be Petersburg. That would be the, the core cities. That would be Newport News, okay? These, all of these places are represented by black Democrats. They're not represented by white Republicans, okay? So, and then the next point, uh, the, um, the minimum wage. The minimum wage is not designed to make it so you can give someone uh, $5 worth of value and that they are forced by law to give you $20, okay? The value of, in a, in a free society, free people are, should be free to 
exchange anything for any price that they determine. And that would include labor. If you have nothing to sell but yourself, you can sell your uh, eight hours of labor five days a week. And two people should be able to agree on that. The country with the highest hourly rate on the planet is Switzerland. And they do not have a minimum wage law. And so it is not uh, it is not true that you need the government to force people to be paid a higher rate. What you need is you need people to have a skill set that someone is willing to pay them for. Because last time I checked, the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, these places, they don't have a problem with black people not being paid enough because these people have honed their skills and they put their skills on the market and the highest bidder, uh, you know, one guy would say, oh, it's $20 million. Another, oh, no, I think I want him. I'll give you $25 million. okay? So if you have an education system where parents are free to choose the school that their child goes to, if they are able to break up this monopoly that the Democrats run where they miseducate, they're teaching children how to be hateful, how to be angry, how to walk out on protests, how to put a condom on a cucumber, how to have a boy put on a dress, how to have a girl, you know, go into the boys' room. They're teaching them everything except how to comport themselves as civilized citizens and how to learn something of value, okay? And so then when they go out here into the marketplace and uh, they have skills that are only worth $5 an hour— now you want to pass a law to force someone to pay this person, this incompetent person that your party created, force someone to pay them $20 an hour. Bring her back, Asher. Are you there? I am here. And you took up a lot of time. It's my program. You have 30 seconds. Okay, so my 30 seconds is, first of all, we don't teach boys how to put on a dress. We don't teach girls how to go in the boys' bathroom. Okay. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you for the call, Jewel. You have a blessed day. All right. Um, 804-454-1366 is the number. 804-454-1366 if someone else would like to call. And it's just I had to get out of that call because it's um, that, that's like saying one plus one does not equal two. Okay? But uh, now— we want to remind you all that this this movie, I want to push this movie again, Paul, Apostle of Christ, okay? The movie is going to open officially next Friday, but tomorrow we have an event where we're going to be having a theological discussion featuring the actor Jim Caviezel and the scholars that um, ensured biblical integrity of the film. And we had, as our guest last week, was the uh, producer, the filmmaker, the, the screenwriter, was uh, Andrew Hyatt. And really, really a good movie. So if you go to our website, folks, and you can just click on it, and there is a, uh, a trailer of the movie embedded in that, um, in that event uh, that we're, we're, we're having tomorrow. And so we would love to have you all out there. Now, seating is limited, so I would encourage you to go to our website and just shoot us an email. Now, we do have seats available, but just shoot us an email uh, to uh, let us know uh, that you want to come. The address is 8659 Staples Mill Road, 8659 Staples Mill Road. 
And I also want to remind you that we are having a sunrise service, 6.30 Eastern morning, uh, sunrise service at Fairmount Christian Church. And again, I invite you, and we can do this uh, next Saturday too, uh, spread the word. I invite you to let us know if your church is having a sunrise service. Please let us know so we can announce it on this program because not all churches have sunrise services, okay? So uh, if your church uh, is, is having that, we would love to have four or five churches in different parts of the city to announce so that folks can find a sunrise service uh, to go to. And so with that, we're going to welcome John to the program. Uh, John, what's on your mind, brother? Hello. I heard, uh, yes. I heard the last lady talking about minimum wage and the Constitution, and I don't think that really ties in together very well. But I will yeah, say, I agree with a, you. To have a to have a competent person going to a work, that's hard to find, you know. And minimum wage <laughs> tell me about 70, it. Yeah, it's called a training wage. Really, the the minimum wage is a training wage. Okay, and so what happens is if you raise the minimum wage, you well, well, a guy maybe was going to hire three people. He hires two. Are you but, there? Oh, I'm here. Um, my mindset on the matter is that that to get a skill set and to be good at something, you have to go to school. Yes. At seven twenty-five an hour, if unless your parents do a little bit a little bit better than that, and they're willing to help you out, you're not going to school. Now, so should the law get in the middle of that arrangement or should that be where where is the most success where the government is in between uh, free people or is there more success where the government butts out and just does what the Constitution calls the 18 enumerated um, issues? You do know that, right, that the, the Constitution only tells the federal government that it has can, it has legitimate authority to do 18 things and only 18 things. And right. one of those 18 things is not to determine the price of anything to include labor. But there's other ways to do that. Anyway. Hello? I feel like maybe $15 an hour is too much or $22 an hour is too much, but you can definitely boost the minimum wage up, even if the government, like, they can do that. Well, how do, what, do you say, what do you say to Sweden, where they have the highest hourly rate in the world, but they have no law mandating the minimum, okay? And the same thing in the NBA. There's no minimum wage in the NBA, but they make millions. And so every place you look where there's no minimum, people making a lot of money. And then the places where you're forcing someone to pay a minimum, you have a lot of people make the minimum. So now, it, what is our goal? Is our goal to give government more power and authority over our lives as though we're all a bunch of slaves? Or is our goal to have people be more prosperous? Because if it's the latter, then the answer to raising wages is to raise the skill level, not to artificially inflate the wage. That might benefit you um, temporarily. And as a matter of fact, the reason unions push the increase in the minimum wage is because most union contracts are based on a multiple of the minimum wage. So they will have a contract that says we are guaranteed to be paid five times what the minimum wage is. So if that's, if that's $5 an hour, you're guaranteed uh, 20, 
$25 an hour. And if they can get the minimum wage up to $10 an hour, well, they're guaranteed $50 an hour. So they're really not looking out for the little guy. They're looking out for themselves. And they don't care that the, the little guy may not ever get his first job because you can't get the $20 an hour job until you get the $7 an hour job. Does that make sense? It does make sense. But the goal shouldn't be to be slaves to our government. And the goal shouldn't be to have, well, it should be ultimately to have more freedom. But one of the goals that you need to put in there is to have our government work for us. The government works for you by butting out of your business. Are you a man, a free man, or are you uh, a child that needs, you know, Miss McGillicuddy to come in and say, well, all right, employer and employee, stop that, play nice. You know, what are you? Are you free? Are you free? What are you? Are you free? Yes or no? It's a simple question. I would say that I'm free. You don't sound free. Explain. Well, you you sound like you need Miss McGillicuddy to walk into the room and make you and the employer play nice. That doesn't sound like a free man to me. That sounds like a serf. As an employee, you can't go to your boss. Yes, you can. You can quit. Well, look, uh, do me a favor. This is fascinating. Call back next week, okay, because we're at the end of the program. So, and in the meantime, I I invite, you you know, just uh, go to my website, thereallyrealdeal.com. There's a lot there. And uh, God bless you and all the callers. Uh, We thank you all. And we're going to see you all uh, next week. Tomorrow, if the program will be pre-recorded from last week, 9 to 11. God bless you, Richmond.